as we come back from a month off, which is only a month, but like Abner said, it just seems so long. You know, as we come back, there does feel this newness to the the beginning of the year. And I know that it's not a new year technically, but it is a new academic year, or almost a new academic year. And as Abner and I were emailing about uh, Sojourners starting up, we kept referring to this as the new Grace Church year, or the new GCC year, because there is an element of starting afresh of what we do from year to year. And as we begin from the start, as we begin uh, afresh, we want to consider what our priorities are in life. We want to think about what we're committed to. We want to examine ourselves and we want to set or we want to reset our goals as we move forward in life, as we move forward from day to day, from week to week and from year to year and essentially for our entire life. We want to ask the questions, what will we do with our time? What will you do with your time this year? What will you think about? What will you read? What will you watch? What will you listen to? What will consume you? What will you fix your eyes upon? How will you continue to live this race that we call life? Eric Little is somewhat of a familiar name to us, Eric Little. Here you can see his image on the screen. He was a Scottish runner who won a gold medal in the Olympics in 1924. He was born to a missionary family in China. And ever since his childhood, he was exceptional in athletics, in sports. But one of his main weapons, as biographers describe it, one of his main weapons was his speed. He was fast. When he studied at the University of Edinburgh, he quickly became known as the fastest runner in Scotland, not only at the university, but in all of Scotland, so much so that the newspapers began to write articles and say, hey, maybe we are seeing the next Olympics gold medalist here from Scotland. And in 1924, when he was 22 years old, he went to the Olympics, which were in France that year, and he won the 400 meter, and he set the the world record at 47.6 seconds, which remained a world record for 12 years after him. Now, usually, the winners in these types of events, they beat their opponents by a couple inches, by an inch. The next person behind him came six yards after him. When this opponent, the person in second place, was interviewed, he said that he couldn't believe that a man could run so fast as Little did. He said this, the opponent said this, Little pushed himself like a man who was possessed. He was so, Little was so resolved to win that he ran like a man possessed. And so as always, Olympics analysts, biographers, reporters, whenever they encounter something like this, they begin to ask the question, what made Little win? Why did he win this race? What made him run with such fervency? And the answer given is that his attention was fixed entirely on one object, the finish line. All he could see was the finish line. And now this definitely was his goal to win the prize, 
But besides this being his goal, something that he wanted to, he actually literally could see nothing but the finish line. He, when the, the runners were placed in their lanes, he was placed in the exterior lane, in the outer lane, which put him in front of his competitors in order to make the running distance equal for everyone, 400 meters. And so he couldn't see anybody when he was running. And he, the analyst said that because of this, he couldn't experience that adrenaline rush to go faster if he saw his opponents, his rivals. And the, the analyst said that because of this, he was at, put into a place of disadvantage. But because he was in this place of disadvantage, all he could focus on was the finish line. And so this place of disadvantage became a place of advantage for him. All he saw, all he could do was fix his eyes on the end and he could just sprint with all of his attention, with all of his focus, undivided towards the end. And that's exactly what he did. As he was approaching the finish line, spectators later described that with the finish line about 20 meters or 20 uh, yards or so away, they said that Little threw his head back, he put his chin out, and he just shot forward towards the tape at the finish line to cross it and to win the gold medal. So when we ask the question, what made Little win? We see that it was his undetermined focus on the finish line. But there was much more to Little than winning this gold medal. When he was interviewed for the, about this race at a later time, he said that it has been a wonderful experience to compete in the Olympic Games and to bring home a gold medal. And then he continued to say, but since I have been a young lad, I have had my eyes fixed on a different prize, the Lord Jesus Christ. That was what his race, his life's race was about. And scripture frequently compares our life to a race. It calls us to run the race with our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So as we come to this point of the year, as we begin this new year with Sojourners, with Grace Church, Scripture calls us to examine ourselves and to focus all of our attention on Christ. Think upon Christ. Read about Christ. Go to Christ in prayer. Worship Christ. Live out the words of the Apostle Paul, for to me, to live is Christ. And Scripture not only calls us to focus on Christ, but it also gives us five paramount examples, five witnesses which show that focusing on Christ must consume our lives. And as the first example in the Scriptures, the first witness, from the very outset of history, Scripture shows that God himself 
focused on Christ, the Messiah. As soon as Adam and Eve sin, the very first prophecy that God gives is a messianic prophecy. It's a prophecy about the Messiah. God prophesies that Christ will defeat the serpent, Satan, and that he will reverse the curse. In Genesis 3.15, it's a passage that is very familiar to us. God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He, the Messiah Christ Jesus, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So as soon as sin enters this world, God directs the attention of all of history on one person, and that's the coming of Christ. And so after this promise, after this promise that God gives, all of Scripture and all of the people of God are anticipating this coming of the Messiah, this, uh, the coming of Christ. And so a few thousand years after this prophecy, when Philip, in John 1.45, Philip comes to Nathanael and he says to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. So from Genesis 3.15, from the very beginning, all the eyes are fixed on one person. And it is God himself who sets up this focus on Christ. And then all throughout history, God continues to direct all of the attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. After the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and as they come to the end of those 40 years, they're about to enter the promised land, God gives a promise, a prophecy through Moses. In Deuteronomy 18, God says, I will raise up a prophet from among their brothers, from the Israelites, like you, Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. God says to him that, to Moses, to give to the Israelites, that he will raise up an an ultimate prophet who will speak for God. And once God sets up this expectation, the Israelites, the righteous Israelites, are looking for this ultimate and coming prophet. And that's why when John the Baptist came, the people said to him, who are you? They said to him, are you the prophet? And John said, no, I am not the prophet. But when Peter was preaching after the resurrection of Christ in Acts chapter 3, when Peter was preaching, he said that this ultimate prophet is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 2, God reinforces this expectation of the coming of the Messiah, and he refers to the Messiah as his son. He says that he will be the ruler of the entire world. In Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8, God says, to Christ. He says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. God focused on the Messiah as his son so that Israel would look for him, so that Israel would look for the son of God. And we see the righteous Israelites do this. In Proverbs 30, verse 4, we see them express this expectation, this anticipation. Proverbs 30, verse 4 says, Who has ascended into heaven and descended? And this is a reference to Yahweh, to God, God the Father. Who has gathered the wind in his fists? 
Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? The answer is Yahweh. What is his son's name? They're expecting the coming of the Son of God. Well, when Jesus began his ministry and when he was baptized, God spoke out of heaven and God said of Christ, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And later on, when Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John, God the Father spoke again from heaven, spoke these same words, and he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God the Father put focus on Christ as someone who would come and who would reverse the curse. And so the entire entirety of history, all of Scripture, all of the righteous people of God are looking for this coming of Christ in Scripture. And if we want to be like God, if we want to have the mind of God, then we also must set our focus on Christ. Well, just as God the Father set his focus on Christ, Christ also focuses on Christ. Jesus understood the gravity of his mission as Messiah to reconcile man to God. He knew that the redemption of mankind from sin was on his shoulders. He knew that he was the light, that he was the eternal uh, water, that he was the savior of the world. He knew that he was the solution to the problem, the solution to the problem of sin. And so when he preached, he directed the attention of the people on the Messiah on himself because he would be the one who would achieve redemption. That's why he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. When Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, they began to speak about salvation. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will declare all things to us. And when she said this, what was Jesus' response to her? He said, I who speak to you am he. He pointed to himself because he would be the one who would accomplish this salvation. When Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees in another instance, he again pointed to himself and he began asking them about who is the Messiah. In Matthew 22, 41, Jesus said to the Pharisees, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And the purpose of this question is to show the Pharisees the greatness of Christ, that he is much more than mere man. Christ knew that it was a matter of life and death for the people to understand who Christ is properly. And so he would reiterate this uh, with question after question. And this is what he does here. And so as he asks the question, whose son is the Messiah? The Pharisees answer and they say to him, well, Christ is the son of David. That's their response. But Jesus presses them on this and he says to them, if the Messiah is simply David's son, then how does David in the spirit call the Messiah Lord, which is superior to David? How how is it that David calls him Lord, and he says, The Lord, God the Father, said to my David's Lord, 
to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. If David calls the Messiah Lord, who is greater than him, how is he David's son? If the Messiah is greater than David, how is the Messiah the son of David? Jesus was showing the Pharisees that they had a low view of the Messiah. They thought that he was just a man. They thought that he was just like them. But Jesus focused on the Messiah to show them that the Messiah is God. That is why God the Father gives the Messiah equal authority, and he says to him, sit at my right hand. Jesus was showing to the Pharisees that understanding the truth about the Messiah and understanding who the Messiah is accurately, according to the scriptures, is the most important thing that a person can do. It's the most important decision that a person can make to understand who the Messiah is. This is why Jesus also directed the attention of his followers on himself and on who he is according to the scriptures. After his resurrection, when Jesus joined the two men on the road to Emmaus, as you remember in Luke chapter 24, the men said to Jesus as they were walking that they were devastated. They were grieved because Jesus was crucified and they thought that he would be the redeemer. They thought that he would be the Messiah. Well, As they said this, instead of comforting them, Jesus confronts them. Jesus says to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. That is not an encouraging response to two people who are grieving over the death of someone they love. But this shows how important it is to understand who Christ is, to understand him accurately. And so to explain the correct nature and the correct view of the Messiah, Jesus continues to say to them, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then listen to what Jesus does after this. Jesus says, or the scripture says, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus went through the entire Old Testament to speak to his followers about himself. Why? Because Christ is the center of the redemption plan of God. Christ is the focus of Scripture. Christ is the fulfillment of Scripture. For Christ to interpret Scripture accurately, which he always did, is for him to preach about who the Messiah is, which is himself. And so when Christ preached, he preached about the Messiah. And he focused on the Messiah. Because the Messiah is the individual who reconciles man to God. And this brings us to the third witness, and this is Scripture. God focuses on Christ, Christ focuses on Christ, and Scripture focuses on Christ. And we just saw this with Luke 24, and, uh, when uh, Jesus was walking with the two men on the road to Emmaus. Jesus said to his two doubting disciples, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, which is the Old Testament. 
And then the scripture continues and says, beginning with Moses, which is the Torah, the Pentateuch, and with all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. He opened the scriptures to them and he showed to them that the scriptures focus on Christ. All the scriptures are a testimony to the person of Christ. Scripture is a large book. Talks about creation, Israel, exile, return, the disciples, Jesus, the church, life, death, sin, Satan, God, eternity. All of this is part of Scripture. But when you ask the question, what is Scripture about? What's the answer to that? What is Scripture about? What is the answer to that? Well, what did Jesus say in regard to this? In John 5.39, Jesus says to some of the Jewish leaders, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that bear witness about me. Scripture bears witness about Christ Jesus. And then in John 5.46, just a few verses later, Jesus adds, if you believed Moses, which is the Torah, you would believe me for Moses wrote about me. The scripture is about the Savior. It's about Christ. It focuses on Jesus. The scripture is about Jesus, the Messiah. When I was doing my undergrad at UCLA, I got to know a couple of rabbis there. I would talk to them all the time, and uh, the thing that I talked to them all the time about was the Messiahship of Jesus. I would pester them with this topic in and out nonstop. I would say to them, look, it says that the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, therefore Jesus is the Messiah. I would say to them, the Messiah is supposed to be born of a virgin. Jesus is born of a virgin, therefore Jesus is the Messiah. I would say to them, it says that the Messiah is supposed to be crucified. Zechariah 12.10, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Jesus was crucified, therefore Jesus is the Messiah. And so one day I was having one of these conversations with a rabbi, he became frustrated with me, understandably. <laughs> and he said to me, you know what your problem is? He said, you focus too much on the Messiah. <laughs> and he said, you need to focus more on how you live your life. Uh... And that's true. I do need to focus more on my life. I eat too much pizza. <laughs> I drink too much kombucha. I drink too much coffee. I know. All of that is true. All of that is true. But you focus too much on the Messiah? I mean, the very first prophecy is about the Messiah. All of Scripture points to the Messiah. How could I be focusing too much on the Messiah? I I don't focus enough on the Messiah. But this was Jesus' point in John 5.39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that bear witness about me. If you study the scriptures and you miss Christ, then you have missed the entire point of God's revelation. The whole point of scripture is to point to Christ. And this is exactly what Christ preached to two of his followers on the road to Emmaus. Now, in God's providence, we don't have the message that Jesus preached to these two individuals on the road to Emmaus. But if we look at Scripture, we can see consistently how 
the scriptures point to Jesus, to the Messiah, as the fulfillment of all of God's promises, of all of God's revelation. And we can just take one example, the promise of the seed. We saw this in Genesis 3.15. In Genesis, this, this promise of the seed, it stretches from the very beginning in the Old Testament to the New Testament, to the very end. In Genesis 3.15, God prophesies that the seed will crush the serpent's head. Then in Genesis 22, God promises that through Abraham, God will raise up a seed. And in this seed, God says, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And yes, God promised to give a seed of a nation to Abraham. But out of this nation, Israel, will come one seed that will bless all the nations. And so with this in mind, in Galatians 3.16, Paul explicitly says who this seed is. He says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. From the very beginning to the very end, Scripture focuses on Christ. But there is another level of significance to the fact that Scripture focuses on Christ. We saw that God the Father focuses on Christ. We saw that Christ, or God the Son, focuses on Christ. And now we see that Scripture focuses on Christ. Well, who is responsible for writing Scripture? 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Scripture is the work of the Holy Spirit. Scripture is the voice of the Holy Spirit. Pastor John put it this way. He said, The Holy Spirit is the divine author and originator, the producer of the scriptures. So what we have is the three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, focusing on Christ. Now, if the Trinity focuses on Christ, should not we also prioritize Christ in our lives? If Christ is the focus of the entire Trinity, how is it that sometimes He's not our focus in our lives? Eric Little said that many of us are missing out in life because we're after the second best. Whether it's money, career, comfort, fame, power, whatever it may be. If it's not Christ, it's second best, third best, fourth best. But it's not the best. Christ is the only prize that can truly be called a prize. And so we must strive. We must agonize in this life to imitate Paul, who said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And this points to the fourth witness in Scripture that focuses on Christ, and that is the saints of God. The saints focus on Christ. So we see that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit focusing on Christ, And in line with the Trinity, we see the saints focusing on Christ. The saints in the Old Testament, the saints in the New Testament, all of them have their attention, have their eyes fixed on Christ. When Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, 
He said to them, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Now, we saw that God promised to give a seed to Abraham, and that through this seed, all of the nations would be blessed. Well, here Jesus is saying that Abraham looked forward to this seed. And when Christ came, Abraham rejoiced. The author of Hebrews writes that Moses also focused on Christ. In Hebrews 11, it says that even though Moses grew up in Egypt in the palace, and he could have had all of the pleasures of life, all of the pleasures of this world, he chose to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And then it says, he regarded the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Moses preferred to identify with the Messiah than with Egypt. Peter said that all the prophets of the Old Testament looked to the coming of the Messiah. In 1 Peter 1.10, Peter wrote concerning this salvation or the salvation that we have in Christ, concerning the salvation, the prophets made careful searches and inquiries to know what time or what kind of time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he was predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So you think about Moses, who recorded Genesis 3.15, or Isaiah, who wrote the prophecy about the virgin birth, Zechariah, who prophesied the crucifixion of Christ, Daniel, who wrote about the Son of Man receiving dominion. All of these prophets wrote these prophecies under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and then they studied them. They exegeted them. They wanted to understand them, and they prayed about them like Daniel does in Daniel Daniel chapter 9. They studied these passages that they wrote because they were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And so what we're doing when we study the scriptures is exactly what the prophets were doing. The prophets studied the scripture to understand the suffering and the glory of Christ. And this continues into the New Testament. John the Baptist was a prophet whose entire life's purpose was to announce the coming of the Messiah. This is what he was born for. This is what he lived for. When the Pharisees asked him, who are you? He said to them, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord for the coming of the Messiah. You know, when people ask you, who are you? You can answer them in a variety of ways. You can say to them, you're a professor, you're an American, you're an immigrant, I'm an immigrant. These are the facts that define who we are. Well, when John was asked, what defines you? He said, I am a voice crying out about the coming of the Messiah. John's life was defined by one reality, and that was the coming of Christ. And this was his focus until the end of his life. When John is arrested, the only thing that he's thinking about is the Messiah. John is in prison. He knows he's about to die, and normal people in such circumstances, will send messages to their family that they love them. What does John do in such a circumstance? He sends a message to Jesus, and he asks him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for someone else? John is not normal in that sense. 
right? John is consumed with Christ. The only thing on his mind is, Jesus, are you the Messiah? He's looking at Jesus from his prison cell, and he's wondering. The Messiah is supposed to conquer his enemies. The Messiah is supposed to destroy evil. The Messiah is supposed to be king. Is Jesus the one? Because I don't see him doing all of these things right now, at least not yet. So is he the one, or do we look for another? But notice that even though he's wondering about Jesus as he's asking this question, he demonstrates absolute confidence in the coming of the Messiah. He knows that the scriptures are going to be fulfilled. And so he says to Jesus, are you the one? Am I I just not seeing the full picture here? And Jesus responds to him, and Jesus says to him, if you look at what I am doing, you will see that only the true Messiah is able to do these things. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus shows John the correct understanding of who the Messiah is. Now, the singular focus that John had on the Messiah, even when he was in prison, is the focus that all believers need to have on the Messiah. So whether you're at the peak of life or at the point of death, Christ must be the focus. And this focus on Christ is characteristic of all of God's people. When Philip found Nathaniel, which I mentioned earlier, he said to him, we have found the Messiah, the one we've been looking for, Jesus of Nazareth. When this same Philip met an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, he preached to him about the Messiah from Isaiah 53. When Achilla and Priscilla spoke to Apollos, they focused on Christ. When Paul wanted to summarize the essence of his message that he's preaching, he said, we preach Christ crucified. When Paul wanted to summarize the entire essence of his life, he said, for to me to live is Christ. The purpose of his life, the pursuit of his life, the prize of his life was Christ. For Paul, the entirety of his life could be summed up in one person, and that is Jesus Christ. The only thing better than this life with Christ is the next life with Christ in sinless eternity. That's why Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What defines the saints is their focus on Christ. That's why we're called Christians, followers of Christ. In this life, we look forward to Christ. In the next life, in heaven, we will be with Christ. And this brings us to the final witness in scripture that focuses on Christ, and that is all of heaven. Christ is so central in God's plan of redemption that even all of heaven focuses on Christ. So God focuses on Christ. Christ focuses on Christ. Scripture, the Holy Spirit, focuses on Christ. The saints focus on Christ, and all of heaven focuses on Christ. When Peter was writing about salvation... He said that even the angels from heaven look into Christ's work of redemption in order order to understand it and in order to worship Christ for it. In 1 Peter 1.12, Peter says that Christ's work of salvation was such a wonder for the angels 
that it was things into which angels long to look. And the Old Testament actually gives us an image of this. The angels on the Ark of the Covenant are looking down at the seat of mercy. And the seat of mercy represents the place of forgiveness, the place of atonement. The angels look at this in awe and in wonder, seeking to understand it because they want to worship Christ for it. And Luke 15.10 15, says that even when one sinner is saved, the angels rejoice at this work of Christ. Now, the angels were also present all throughout Christ's earthly ministry. The angel Gabriel announced Christ's birth to Mary. The angel or an angel appeared to Joseph to tell him not to end the engagement with Mary because she was going to give birth to Christ. A host of angels appeared to the shepherds in the field, told them about Christ's birth in Bethlehem. An angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him to flee to Egypt from Herod. After Christ was tempted in the wilderness, the angels came and ministered to him. When Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, an angel came and strengthened him. When Christ was buried and he rose from the dead, an angel rolled away the stone and told the women that Christ is risen. When Christ ascended into heaven, two angels appeared to the disciples and they said to him, this Jesus will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. The focus of these angels is Christ. And when we ourselves go to heaven, we will join the angels and all the saints, and we will all worship Christ. In the book of Revelation, John sees the angels and the saints in heaven singing a song. And here is the focus of their song. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Christ is the focus of worship in heaven for the work of redemption that he achieved in his death and resurrection. Now, seeing how heaven focuses on Christ must move us to focus on Christ as well. And that's exactly what it did to John, who wrote the book of Revelation. John comes to the end of the book of Revelation after seeing all of these visions that God gives him. And his response is this, Revelation 22, 20. Come, Lord Jesus. His focus is entirely on Christ. And this is to be our focus as well. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, let me conclude with this final reflection. Why do we focus on Christ in such a particular way? Jesus himself answers this question. This is the passage I read earlier in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Christ and Christ alone provides the solution that we need to be made right with God. Take Christ away, and we're all condemned to eternal hell. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is vain. But then in verse 20, Paul continues and says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. And so we have eternal salvation. Only by Christ we are saved. Only by Christ we are sanctified. The entire plan of redemption rested on Christ's shoulders. That's why God, Christ, Scripture, the saints, and all of heaven focuses on Christ. That is why also we must focus our eyes upon Jesus as we continue to run this race that we call life. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so thankful that you are our God. Lord, we are so thankful that you sent your son to die for us, to be raised from the dead, to conquer death, to conquer all of sin, to forgive us of all of our sin, and to give us eternal life. Lord, so that we can be one day with you for eternity in sinlessness. And Lord, we love you. We, Lord, are so thankful to Christ for the work that he has done. Lord, it is our true desire to focus on Christ. And yet there are things in this world that distract us. Lord, there are things that take us away, encumbrances or sin, Lord. And we ask that you would help us to remove these things from our lives, to reject them, Lord, and to focus on you entirely. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word to encourage us, to confront us, to refine us, and to set our gaze upon you. Lord, we long to be with you. We pray that you would bless us for the rest of this day and that you would bless the rest of this year as we study your word, as we study you, and as we draw closer to you. Lord, I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.